My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Hilder. Hey, welcome back to Aquarium Drunker Transmissions. So glad to have you here with us on the show. This week, we are joined by one of my favorite return guests, Cecile Schott, who records under the name Colleen. A couple years back, she joined us to talk about her great record of lyrical, synthetic, drum machine-driven songs. That one was called The Tunnel and the Clearing, but now she's back with a brand new one, Le Jour Et la nuit de l'Uriel. Uh, and I, uh, I'm bad at French, but that translates to the day and night of reality. It's a 21-track instrumental album, a double album, that was built from her fairly uh, bare-bones synth rig, uh, a Moog grandmother, and two delays, a Roland RE201 Space Echo, and a Mogerfoger analog delay. Um, and while Colleen foregoes lyrics this time out, it's all instrumental, uh, it's nonetheless one of the most emotionally enveloping and impactful albums that I've listened to in 2023. And I was so glad to have her on to open up and talk about honesty and connecting to others and creating space to feel feelings. And it was really just a fantastic time. We're going to keep the intro pretty short this week because we're on a tight deadline and uh, I have stuff that I need to get done before our September 30th live taping in Los Angeles at the Philosophical Research Society with Matt Marble, who's going to be joining me to discuss his fantastic book about Arthur Russell, which is available right now in the PRS bookstore. It's called Buddhist Bubblegum, Esotericism in the Creative Process of Arthur Russell. And I'm really looking forward to joining with Matt to discuss it. That same night in Los Angeles, Colleen will be playing over at Zebulon. So uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I had it. And, uh, you know, if you choose to see Colleen, I I totally understand. I do hope that folks will join us. Uh, Matt's conversation uh, is, I'm really looking forward to it. And like I said, I've got lots more notes to make. So I will let the tape roll on my conversation with Colleen. Before we get into it, if you want to support Aquarium Drunker Transmissions, there's a quick and easy way to do it. Head over to Patreon and pledge your support. Help keep our independent media outlet rolling. If you dig our interviews, podcasts, radio shows, mixtapes, lanyap sessions, the Aquarium Drunkard Picture Show, our weekly sidecar newsletter, all of the ways that we try to bring music that we care about direct to you, the listener, because we think you might care about it as well. If you want to support the work we're doing, the Patreon is the way to do it. So head over there and pledge 
And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Colleen is such a fantastic guest and I really, really dug getting the chance to sit down with her. So I hope you enjoy this. I will speak with you a little bit more on the other side. Thanks for being with us here on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Thank you so much for doing that i appreciate it thanks <laughs> cool oh and we've got a guest we come on okay we'll, we'll have a guest in a second <laughs> is this a, a feline yes. guest yeah uh, yeah it is of course and it's always the same one <laughs> <laughs> great great I think he's, yeah it, he's just touching the um the mic stand now i hope he doesn't destroy everything but yeah <laughs> i mean well if it's gotta if it's gotta be destroyed for some reason i suppose uh a cat tearing around is at least an entertaining reason for the studio to uh, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well congrats on this beautiful new record i have oh hello <laughs> <laughs> i've really enjoyed spending time with it it's great uh-huh thank you i um um, let's see. I'll, I'll I'll do my best to to say it. So it's le jour et la nuit du uh, du real. No, that's <laughs> yeah, pretty bad. It's, it's, it, it, yeah, no, no. Uh, but it's it's hard to pronounce uh, the last word. Any word with R in in French is hard to pronounce. So it's le jour et la nuit du réel. Ah. And uh, also, I should immediately say that there was a. Um, there was a typo in the uh, Thrill Jockey uh, bio for the record, and it was badly translated. Uh, and it, so the exact translation, it's, it's very easy. It's uh, uh, the day and the night and the night of reality. And for some uh. reason, it was translated as the day of the night of reality, which doesn't make sense. So, yeah, uh, that's what it means. <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I thought that that was um, the the title translated into English is quite interesting and it gives me so much to think about and i'm really looking forward to to speak with you about it but it's a transfixing listen and it's 
the sort of record that I found very, very um, immersive. Like my time spent with it feels like it's almost like a whole little world. But I, I went to Paris for the first time earlier this year. And so when I was listening to the first composition, uh, Subterranean, I found myself thinking about the catacombs, which I visited. And I know okay. it's I know it's kind of touristy, obviously, the, the catacombs, because that's something that people go and visit. But ever since I went, I've found myself thinking a lot about the underworld or, you know, the sort of underground, subterranean, obscured, that sort of situation where to be down there is really, it was really very strange and kind of a, mm -hmm. a have you ever, I, you lived Actually, in Paris. I I lived in Paris, but actually in a fairly typical way, I guess. Uh, I haven't been to the most touristy things, and the same thing is happening to me in Barcelona. Yeah. So I've never been there. I'm sure it's it's very interesting. Yeah. It's wild. I mean, there's something like six million bodies down. You know, oh remains. Okay. You know, so you're, so you're uh -huh. in, you're in this this ossuary. I think ossuary is how they they pronounce it. But anyway, it was fantastic and. But the 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 sort of the notion of this double album being divided into the day and night, uh, I mean, it was it's it's just it's really it's really quite beautiful. Did you start? I know you started this album in a, in a similar mode to the last one that you joined us to yes. talk about the tunnel and clearing, where you you know had written lyrics and they were a little bit mm -hmm. more um, song for me. I wonder. When did the words go out the window for this one? Because you okay. started off. <laughs> okay. Um, so basically, um, I started the um, working on the album straight after, almost straight after The Tunnel and the Clearing was uh, released. So The Tunnel was released in May 2021. And I started to work uh, on the next album in August, just two months afterwards. And... Um, at the back of my mind, uh, even prior to the tunnel, I wanted to make an album that would include a lot of rhythm. So that would have been with the uh, Elka Drummer one, which I did end up uh, using on, on the tunnel. Um, but yeah, for some time I was uh, thinking and hoping I would be able to make a record that would be kind of like joyful and very rhythmical, more rhythmical than my than my output. Um, so when I started, uh, I had this in my mind. Uh, I was very much in love with the um, the setup that I had on the tunnel, which was uh, uh, this organ uh, emulation, the, the Yamaha Reface YC going into the Moog Grandmother. I knew I wanted to explore that. I knew there would be more of a synthesis aspect. Uh, I still wanted to sing, you know, because there was no particular reason to uh, stop singing. And I had this theme of um, well, the the, the thing, <laughs> the thing about the theme of the album, it's very hard to put it into words because my ideas around it are kind of complex. But I can start by just saying that initially, um, I think I, I was you know um, wondering and pondering about uh, the importance that uh, my digital uh, life had taken in my life, and I was reflecting on, upon. Um, people's comments that uh, somehow um, 
the digital relationships that we may develop are not uh, real or it's not real life. You know, that's a that's a common comment when someone says, yeah, but it's not real. So my so it's very cliche. I mean, that's there's nothing new about about that, you know, but that was probably my initial point. And then my other point um, was about emotional uh, reality. So I think the tunnel, in a way, was already um, touching upon that, especially the song Revelation, uh, where one of the lyrics was um, uh, truth, reveal yourself to me, you know, like it was about, you know, um, really reflecting on uh, our inability to know uh, reality and especially, especially emotional reality, sometimes even our own and the uh, the reality of other people right um so i had those songs and um i had it wasn't a gimmick but most of the songs had the word real or reality included in them so i had a few of them and uh then what happened uh, little by little is that i just got completely uh i just felt completely in love with with synthesis and it was um so fruitful fruitful sorry the 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 work i was um doing with synthesis was um, it had immediate immediate rewards and um, and I ended up with like such a massive list of songs and so many IDs that at one point it was actually quite a lot uh, quite a long time afterwards uh, I checked the other day I think it was almost a year after starting work on the album well maybe let's say 10 or 11 months that I thought okay this is just going to be completely indigestible I just have to um, get to the point somehow and actually that's when um, having done so much work with synthesis by that point I realized that my um, my concept which was about this inability to fully grasp reality um, it was much better expressed like more powerfully expressed but also more subtly expressed via synthesis in the sense that with synthesis you can take the same exact series of notes and have that be um, like for instance 10 completely different things to the point where you would not recognize the uh, the original basis and um, I think I can see some similarities in that uh, with our apprehension of reality we have like a given like core set of uh, information but really, like the the level that you can uh, get to um, is complete. May become completely different with time passing by, with being given new information, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's it's maybe not the easiest concept to explain, but uh, that's uh, that's how I ended up just ditching the uh, the lyrics and just focusing on that. Yeah, yeah. I find. I mean, well, first off, thank you for that that thoughtful explanation um, because. There's a lot to touch on there, and I like uh, I like a big concept. Uh, it gives us plenty to discuss, uh, and I think that you're you're you really are onto something. I I just started a book by the writer Naomi Klein called Doppelganger, and um, I'm not that far into it, but she is a, a longtime leftist writer, and she's writing about. Uh, her experiences with being mistaken for Naomi Wolf, who is another another writer who kind of like anti-vaxxer, kind of anti-science uh, or, or, you know, whatever. But um, 
but she's writing a lot about how our lives online require us to create something like a doppelganger uh, uh this this figure that interacts with other people and represents us but might not be us entirely you know because we leave out so much online we don't we don't talk about everything we're doing we just highlight and sort of idealize the the notion so what you're saying is really really interesting to me because that imperceptibility is really important to the way we go about I think it can be very important if we allow it because we can remind ourselves that we don't know what other people are thinking or feeling. It might be impossible for us to know. And then when you keep teasing out that logic and pulling on that thread, it becomes all the more apparent that we often don't even know what we're thinking or feeling on individual levels. And so there's so much to 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 dig into. Was it a situation where your lyrics, you were sort of trying to, did, did the song titles kind of carry over from, from the lyrical motifs to some degree? Or at some point did you figure, oh, it's better to maybe just re, you know, rename these things? Um, I'm trying to, sorry, it's, it's, it feels kind of far away now, especially oh, because I, I, I did, I did not pursue, um, in the end that, that avenue. Yeah. Um, well, I can tell you, for instance, to go back on this, um, very, um, current theme of, uh, our onla- online identities, uh, there is one, uh, set of songs on the album that's directly about that in terms of the title and it's be without being seen yeah. and, and initially that was a song and one of the lyrics in there was can i just be without being seen yeah uh, obviously as a professional musician i'm not immune to um uh, deriving a sense of satisfaction when uh, i post something and people like it uh Obviously, that you don't even have to be a professional musician to <laughs> to kind of feel that thing, um, but yeah, I was um, that that lyric was um, was about that. But even further than that, it was about maybe um, what is perceived as loneliness or being alone. Uh, that is, we have, and it's completely acceptable and normal. We have a tendency as human, as as social animals, uh, we do need to be seen literally um, to to exist like you can't exist in a vacuum you know all by yourself and so that line is also about though the um the necessity you know of also um existing without being seen like you you have to in i think in life you have to you have to learn to be to just be without necessarily someone looking at you uh so for instance that's a good that's a good example um of a song that completely disappeared. The the song that is uh, the set of songs that is named uh, "Be Without Being Seen" is a completely different thing that I started. But um, as I was thinking, what will I name those um, those three movements? I thought, oh, actually, I will take that that line from from that from that song. And if you listen to um, to this uh, suite, uh, "Be Without Being Seen," the beginning is like very um, melancholy. I would say. Um, and kind of, uh, yeah, I, I guess melancholy is the appropriate word. And the second movement is um, kind of getting more, um, uh, how can I say that, um, eventful and a bit more tense. And the third is, uh, I guess, uh, the m- most explosive-like thing I've ever 
recorded in my entire discography. And so, for instance, uh, the point here is, the, the point of naming that particular suite Be Without Being Seen is that I'm implying that being without being without being seen is is kind of a violent thing to learn. Like it doesn't come easily. It's it is violent uh, in some way to to have to learn to exist on your own without maybe validation, without maybe admiration. Um, so that's one of the ways in which I hopefully um, the record. Um, is built in a subtle way. So I guess I guess if I explain it, then, then people can listen to it and they'll say, oh yeah, okay, she said that it's like that. <laughs> obviously, um, obviously the, my, my cat is uh, expressing himself right now as well. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, um, and I forgot your, uh, I forgot your, uh, your uh, no, question. No. But. <laughs> no, it's okay. I think that what, what you're saying is, is, is interesting because that that notion of of validation and feedback and on a sort of biological level the hit of dopamine that you get when you see oh look a bunch of people liked the thing that i that i made right they're they're reacting to it or it it's being acknowledged and recognized so much of our online lives are built on that sort of interaction, right? But one thing I think that we all learned, say during the pandemic, when we were forced to use, you know, the internet a lot more for our basic socializing and our connecting with friends or loved ones, is that there's something fundamentally unsatisfying about these online things or, or maybe not unsatisfying but not fully satisfying right there's a sense that there's some element of human connection that's just lost in that which is i think why people say this is not real right but i want to drill down on that idea about you know what is real and what isn't real you know because i feel like we're losing our ability or it's becoming more and more difficult to understand what's real versus what isn't real you know uh i don't want to get too heavy right away but we might as well i mean climate change uh things like AI, artificial intelligence, where you might be watching a video of something and it is literally not real. It hadn't occurred, you know? All of these things, though, push and pull on our concept of reality. And I just wonder if, you know, for you on a personal level, have you experienced that, you know, sort of disorienting, wait, what is real and what isn't real in regards to your online life over the last, you know, couple of years? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't say it's gone that far. And also, um, I think um, it's not the only, uh, it's not the only thing I had in mind uh, sure. regarding this, uh, this concept for the record. And I have to say, for instance, I haven't, I'm, like the artificial intelligence thing, I know everyone's talking about it, and I have to admit that it's not something. Uh, I, I don't know. I do. I do. I do feel overwhelmed by the amount of um, information and things I feel I should know about. But this isn't. This isn't one of the uh, things I've um, 
oh have yeah into. <laughs> well there's no problem i mean <clears throat> the fact of the matter is the technology is interesting and fascinating and could be used to do any number of things good or bad you know technology is a, a tool and in the hands of a good smart creative person maybe it would be used in a good creative way in the hands of somebody more nefarious i'm sure it's going to be used in a more nefarious way so to me though i mean i was just struck by the notion of you use the term something like human machine hybrid style in terms of in terms of like and we talked the last time we talked i remember sort of asking it sounds like a silly thing to bring up you know do you feel like your uh tools are in their own way collaborators and we we kind of laughed about it but you admitted that yeah like in some way you do end up sort of using the machine uh and it ends up in the feedback loop of creativity playing well, its own part right you know yeah well with synthesis that's taking that to like a whole new level and that's why I'm so enthusiastic about it, and that's why I feel that I've probably found the um, the musical tool. I mean, I'm going to call it in singular the musical tool, but the amazing thing about it is that it's actually an infinite amount of tools in just wrapped into one, like the, the concept of synthesis and then the way it materialize, materializes um, across the different types of synth synthesizers you might end up using. But... Um, that's what's so powerful about it is like an i i sometimes think of a an analogy that would be like um synthesis is like uh walking into the amazon so you like the amazon is this like huge place like you know perfectly you you are never going to explore all of the amazon it's just completely impossible right right so you enter in a tiny bit of the forest and uh, you have to decide, are you just going to concentrate on one tree and maybe look at what's underground and then go up the tree, uh, look at the different, uh, all the vegetation that lives on it and then all the creatures that live there? Um, or are you maybe going to take a, a 50 square meter square and explore that a bit more superficially? And um, like there are the great thing about synthesis is that you can, uh, there are various levels at which you can explore it, which also... Also, that's why it's great that even as a beginner in synthesis, um, you will still get something out of it. You know, it's it just works on so many, so many different levels. So definitely, it's like for me, I I really, I really don't feel alone when I'm making music. It's like it's um, it's a cliche to say it's a dialogue with the machine, but it is. And regarding the 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 human machine hybrid expression, uh, that was also in re in relation to the fact that I try to um. I mean, really, is the it's my first truly purely electronic record. Yeah. Um, but I think I still have a kind of a maybe a slightly different approach to a lot of uh, a lot of what comes under the umbrella of electronic music, and um, well, for, for different various reasons, maybe compositional ones, but also so specifically on this record, I, I adopted various ways of playing the synth. So some of it is like the traditional stuff that you will hear on um, most electronic records, that is arpeggiation. Um, so that's obviously done by the machine. 
and uh, sequencing but also I played by hand as if it was uh, more like a Rhodes piano or something like that. And then even within sequencing, uh, I use um, unquantized sequencing for, so for the listeners who might not be familiar, so sequencing um, is uh, you take uh, MIDI notes and they're arranged in a sequence. And most of the time, uh, machines that are uh, meant to... Um, keep a trace of your sequence, quantize the sequence. So literally they put everything in a grid, um, which is probably desirable for a lot of, uh, I guess, more dance floor oriented music or sure. uh, more traditional electronic music. But if you leave it unquantized, that means, for instance, that all of the timing imperfections of your playing are kept as such. And God knows, I I have a lot of timing imperfections when I play. That's one of, actually, that's one of my... Uh, I guess weak points, I would say, but the cool thing is that um, once you put synthesis in that um, sonic territory, what was maybe a weak point becomes um, something really interesting because it's it's electronic music, but it kind of sounds off balance. And I guess a lot of my work is about um, something that's slightly off, something that's a bit imperfect, and um, and yes, so that's why the human-machine hybrid, I really hope that when people listen to the record, they get this sense that there is often someone playing the keys um, or that someone played the keys previously and then the machine is like replaying that as such. And, um, and yes, a human presence that would be uh, very important to me. One of the things that's most exciting to me about the record is the the way you interject consistently those human flourishes. And I think that that's part of what, when we talk about our interaction with technology in the modern age, is I think people fear losing a human touch uh, to what they're doing. And you are prioritizing that human touch. And it's funny because you used the, you know, I think imperfections or 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 anything like that. The idea that, that what you're doing is not perfectly to the grid precise ends up creating a... It's, it's just funny to me when I think about that human touch and what that human touch looks like on this record, which is... Uh, unpredictable bursts of sound, uh, expressive flourishes that don't that the machine wouldn't know to express or to to do a flourish because that's you in the moment responding to what you're feeling, what you're thinking. There's a kind of synthesis taking place internally as well as externally, and to me, that is really what. Um. That's what art is all of that's what we are hoping to get out of art, right? Is this idea that like we ourselves might be transformed by it. Um, and I wonder if for you, your setup is like I can see it behind you. I see the space echo and it's it's a fairly um by sort of synth synthesis standards, a pretty minimal kind of setup, right? Like it's not a particular well, yeah, because also 
my studio is um you know has way more gear than what's on the record on the record it's uh, yeah i mean i don't think many people have done a record with just one monophonic synth uh, it's semi-modular, so that that's true. That makes a difference, but it, sure. it's still a monophonic synth, and just two delay devices. You know, that's all there is to it. And I have to add as well that the uh, synthesizer is not layered at any point except one song. That's uh, Les Parenthèses Enchantées, Movement Three, where there's like a loop. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a first um, uh, loop that sounds very much like an organ, uh, kind of. And uh, and then I'm I'm playing on top of it, but the rest of the time, you know, it's um, it's just it's I can, I can play it live. And actually, uh, when I'm on, I'm starting my tour next week. It's like I can play all of the album live without because that's just what it is. It's just me playing, and yeah. the album is pretty much recorded live. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And and I think what you're able, I've always been a fan of um, artists and art that's that has restrictions applied while making it right i mean from like I, i'm a big fan of the ramones very simple mm -hmm. band not a uh, musically complex crew but at the same time i feel like they get a lot out of what they mm -hmm. uh are doing I, another of my favorite bands is low you know and i think mm, about well, alan God, and, yeah. and mimi sparhawk and and how uh, and I know you're a big fan as well, yeah. and that their their sense of minimalism was very important to you. I read a great piece in uh, The Quietest where you, you talked about that. And I think that that sense of like wringing a lot of emotion out of maybe uh, a limited set of tools is a cool challenge and an interesting way to approach it. You, you took uh, some of this, uh, like a song like night looping that that's named for your, uh, insomnia essentially, right? Like yes. you, you have a, yes. a tendency. <laughs> yes. I have a tendency to have insomnia, not all of the time, thankfully, but I, I do have a, uh, an insomnia problem. Yeah. Is that something that you've had for much of your life? Uh, no, no, not at all. It's fairly recent. Uh, I have to say, <laughs> that's not the most glamorous thing to say, but uh, uh, I'm 47 now. And um, so if there are any female listeners in that age range, uh, they will know like I do, or maybe they don't, that uh, if you're in perimenopause, which is like the, the years preceding menopause, uh, insomnia is one of the... Um, Mm. is one of the symptoms you get. Uh, so I guess my insomnia is partly due to that. And then it's just uh, like, I think very much linked to my personality. So for me to call that those last songs night looping, it just makes so much sense. First of all, because you know, I've been making music as Colleen for 20 years and um, uh, a lot of my music was loop based, less so now actually. Uh, funnily, funnily enough, now that I'm doing electronic music, it's actually less loop based than before. But um, yeah, and it's just the way my my brain is just the way I am as a person. I think I'm um, I'm someone who just like goes over and over again. Uh, <laughs> it's for better for worse. I, like only like uh, I try not to uh, whip myself about this, you know, because I uh, I also know that the uh, the reason I um, I have persisted uh, in my uh, approach as a musician is because of my obsession with uh, what I do. So, um, right. so yeah. Right. <clears throat> I think about how, 
you know, this being a double album divided sort of by day and night, I, I, I'm curious if when you're up late, nighttime is such a interesting time to me, you know, it's, it's this, it's a little bit more, it's a more liminal space, obviously, I think of I've been thinking about the the long wait. You have a song called that, and I wondered if, for you, is there a sense of? Um, I mean, do you enjoy being up at night when you're when you're working on 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 say music oh, or? Okay, yeah. When I, I thought you were going to say, to say, do you enjoy like being up at night and not being able to sleep? Yeah, um, not so much. The answer, no, no. The answer would have been no. Uh, definitely, I um, since uh, the tunnel and also since having my studio at home again, which wasn't the case in the 2010s. Mm-hmm. Um, I have really enjoyed working in the evening. I do because of my insomnia problem. I try not to aggravate it by working at night, night. Sure. But I do. Uh, I, I did. Um, I, I do like working in the evening and um, yes, I have forgotten your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, well, night as we were talking about it, and I know that this is something that you, you had sort of, you sort of talked about, which was that the nighttime, there's like, there's, there are all these different qualities. There's, there are peaceful qualities. There are dreamy qualities of late night. And then there are spooky or more maybe kind of like less less placid ideas about night and i feel like the 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 night side of the record really taps into some of that there's some really interesting tension and uh some interesting spaces and i just you know i wonder if if what qualities you know sort of made themselves apparent for you to understand which of these were were the sort of sunlight side and which were the the moon side you know what i mean in terms of this record mm. well i have to say the track listing was incredibly hard i initially had 22 tracks i ended up with 21 oh wow um i spent uh and that's and that's uh leaving out like a lot of other ideas which i in the end i didn't pursue right um and it was over the course of the whole summer where usually I mean, I worked really hard on this record. It's the hardest and the longest I've ever worked on any album. It was 14 months. And the last few months were really uh, like insane because I had a deadline. Uh, I pushed it back a few times, but obviously, uh, you know, on a record label, you can't uh, upset other people's uh, like release schedules by constantly asking for yours to be pushed back. Um, so at one point I knew I was going to have to deliver the album and it was a real challenge because I had the uh, the sketches. I mean, I didn't have the definitive versions. So uh, actually, I did a, an interesting experiment, which was for September, which was my last month of work. I uh, challenged myself to uh, finish a complete recorded version for every song every single day. So uh, that was that was really interesting. Um, but so to go back to the track listing, what I would do is uh, during the summer, I... Um, I only took a kind of a break on Sundays, but even that wasn't a full break because I would take the uh, the the track list the track listing like the well or at least the list of songs, and I would try to make sense of um, of the songs one by one and see how they might fit. And that's when I I really tried to feel whether something was on the night side or the or the day side, knowing also I knew it would be a 
two two vinyls uh, mm-hmm. and you have to respect that it's more or less half uh, you know like it needed to be like 30 minutes for the day side and 30 minutes for the night side and also uh, some songs are much longer than others right so anyway that was like a big like a big puzzle but i think i um i i'm, I'm very happy with the way it turned out and i think it was pretty natural to find what what corresponded to a, a more like day-like energy and what corresponds well specifically uh, les parenthèses enchantées for me it was clear that that was like a totally uh, you know night is descending like mm-hmm. little by little you can't see anything and and that's it you're you're descending into into night and as you said um i also find uh night really interesting because it can be uh, such a beautiful space for you to to daydream and also um i have like for instance i have very vivid memories of uh the time in late 2015 2016 when i was working on uh, a flame mile of a frequency of really really having a terrible time at night because um uh, I mean, some of the listeners may know about this, but uh, the that album was uh, inspired by uh, um, me spending one single night in Paris in 2015, and that happened to be the night of the of the terrorist attacks of the uh, Bataclan. Mm. And at the exact same time, actually, I, w- I was visiting because my my mom had cancer, which uh, she survived, but. Um, at that time, like it really wasn't clear whether she was going to pull through. And uh, obviously, I had been very shocked by uh, the attacks. Right. And I think maybe for like a full year, like at night, all I could think of was, you know, death, like death in general, (laughs) my death, my mom's possible death. And it was just like a really, um, I really wasn't enjoying, you know, uh, nighttime at that that moment. So uh, it's true that in during night, you can really like... um, I don't know if the expression is to lose your foothold. Is that the? Uh, yeah. That, does that exist as a, in French? We say perdre pied, which is to, <laughs> yeah, to 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 lose your foothold, I guess. Um, so. Um, mm. Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and, as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. Nighttime, historically, it's it when something's on your mind and you can't get it out of your mind and you start, you know, looping that notion in your head. Obviously, nighttime is when that it's 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 the time where there's because all the activity slows down and ceases you know you sort of have to you have to face those things that you don't that you don't want to and so 
But when you talk about that time thinking about thinking about death specifically at, at night, did you find that that was that was now we're talking seven eight eight years ago um did you find yourself returning to any of those feelings while you were working on this record, or was night a different kind of space? sort of uh in the context of of this album does that that does that make um, sense yeah yeah uh, unfortunately i did i did go back to some of this uh thankfully not all of the time but uh i i had a serious health issue uh while making the record that was um actually wait because i'm actually getting yeah that was last year sorry I, so much time has passed since finishing the record because yeah. i finished the record in early october of last year but i'm only releasing releasing it now so it's kind of confusing yeah i had a serious I serious health issue back in spring it's under control but um it definitely uh, brought uh, very serious thoughts uh like for a couple of months mm. and um and also one of the other meanings of night uh, in the title, it's not just literal. I was also thinking about um, night as more like the obscure side of our psyche or the, or the descent into um, neurological disease. And, and for, I mean, this is going to get a bit personal, but I, I don't mind because uh, I think also that's the point of interviews. I'm not I'm not really interested in in doing interviews where to, we stay on surface level. Um, but one of the uh, sources of um, I don't know if you can say if I can say inspiration because I don't think music needs to be inspired by real life events. I think that's not the point. But it's more like an emotional landscape that uh, mm -hmm. you as the musician inhabit. And I think if you do music right, <laughs> or at least in my conception of what I want to do with my music, uh, of course, that that transpires. And so one of the things um, that was happening was that my dad has Alzheimer's disease and uh, he his disease really deteriorated during the uh, recording. And actually, I'm just back. I literally came back yesterday evening from a trip to see my parents. And my dad has finally had to be... Um, put in a in a home mm -hmm. and uh to be honest it was it i think it was the uh possibly the worst thing i've had to witness in my whole life so it's kind of very weird for me to be about to release this album as he's um you know descending into the last stage of the disease and um and yeah so basically to to go back to this notion of night it's also like this um and reality. So when I was making the record, I was, uh, I was, you know, I had, uh, I'm on the phone to my mom like every two days more or less, and I was often telling her, yeah, but uh, he's in, he's in his own reality now. He's, he's left our reality. He lives yeah. in a parallel reality of his own, and it's made me think a lot about, you know, um, very serious um, mental disease or neurodegenerative disease where the person ends up living in a different reality and and in the case of a neurodegenerative disease it's it pretty me much makes sense i think to see it as a kind of a night of the brain you know and night of the psyche uh yeah because i really think i i actually i'm i'm, I'm sorry but it's like i um 
I was uh, I was literally there like yesterday morning, and I was just so shocked um, to see the the faces of the the other patients, and uh, it was like so so obscure the whole thing. So yeah. that's also one of the um, you know one of the the other meanings, and to to keep in a very direct <laughs> biographical uh, mood and explanation about all this. Uh, and it's something I've mentioned in a, in a few other interviews, um, and uh, and I think maybe I don't know, I don't know if we mentioned it in my uh, in my past post- podcast with you, but I've also I've always been interested in um, the theme of uh, I don't know if we should say you know the dark night of the soul. I think that's one of the expressions yeah. that exist. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, my uh, basically my my brother. Uh, I had one brother, and my brother committed suicide when he was very young. He was twenty one. I was 18, so this was, it's going to be almost 30 years ago, so that's why I feel able to talk about it now. Um, and obviously that's that's a, that's an event that, that has really marked me as a person. I think it's only now, you know, I'm 47, uh, it's only now that I fully understand the impact that this has had on my life. And I think now I understand why somehow I think through my music, I've always tried to, uh, especially when I started to incorporate lyrics, I think I've always been um, trying to say something about the human psyche because I think it's like the only, I'm not going to say it's the only thing that matters because that's not true, you know, Uh, know, uh, life, uh, uh, you know, spread across animals and human beings and all of that uh, very real stuff. That's obviously that's a priority. But for me, artistically, I think music has been a means of uh, dealing with all that stuff, I guess, you know, like, because uh, life throws stuff our way constantly. Like we're never, there's never, there's never going to be a moment where we arrive at some kind of peace and like, it's all cool, you know, yeah. there's always going to be uh, illness, disease, uh, death uh, for all of us and all of our loved ones. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's also in the concept of the record, uh, that's that was also at the back of my mind, you know, um, that that obscure side of, you know, for anyone who suffers from like, a, you know, like a real mental health problem or a deep right. psychological suffering. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, well, first off, thank you for sharing all of that. And it is a heavy topic. I have also had multiple family members um, with Alzheimer's and I know that like that feeling of them being kind of on the other side of something and unreachable in a way um you know uh I'll think of family members who could talk about things that happened 30 years ago 40 years ago very clearly but couldn't remember you know, the day before. And I know that like, there's this sense of that, that feels so, uh, on one hand, I, I, I sort of fear for the kind of loneliness that that might inspire the, as you alluded to, you know, for that person to sort of be in their own reality away from, from those of us. And, and so that's a heavy thing to consider. But the other thing is that you mentioned that, you know, we're also talking about inevitability. I mean, we all will diminish and, as you said, die. And, and, And for there to be art that 
opens up uh, a space where we can think about or consider or explore those topics is really, really crucial because the the sort of the shadow self, the the other if you were if you were to take the night analogy and apply it to to each one of us, there is the the sort of day side of us, the side we're pro- projecting, and then the other side, the obscured side, the side that not everybody sees, but is always there and is always at work in what happens in our lives, whether or not we're acknowledging it, you know? And to me, that sort of notion of facing down these inevitable, these difficult inevitabilities is 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 really brave, but it also feels important to do because that what we what we don't acknowledge can kind of imperil us i think you know what i mean like you have to sort of be willing to acknowledge and i think that's what that dark night of the soul story ends up sort of talking about it's 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 to me i've always viewed the the dark night of the soul idea as a kind of revelation or a recognition you know that like at some point in the night, you're going to have to face exactly what you don't want to face. And to me, when we do that, we're then maybe in a space that is slightly less restricted and new possibilities or new ways of thinking about that can open up. But none of that can happen unless we stare into the v- void, you know? This is a very... We're really... I, this is some heavy stuff, but I mean, it's also all there is in a certain sense. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, for, um, I'm, I'm open to, uh, I mean, <laughs> talking about, you know, uh, <laughs> to go back to the previous subject of what we disclose and what we don't disclose um, yeah. uh, publicly, it's, it's kind of tricky to, to navigate. Um, how much one should say. Obviously, everyone decides for themselves uh, how far they should uh, uh, open up. But actually, uh, the older I grow, um, the more, I mean, I think one of the most healing things I've lived uh, in the past few years um, has been to realize that uh, as you open up to the right people, obviously. So in the case of a podcast, it's a bit different because we don't get to choose who is going to listen to this afterwards. But only, uh, only cool, <laughs> only cool, good people listen to this podcast. Yeah, I think so. so. I think so, so too. You know. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yes, I think um, as you open to people, they will open to you. And it's always I think one of the one of the things I've witnessed my whole life is that uh, you meet people and you say, for, for, so for instance, in my case, it's uh, like a typical thing uh, so far had been to mention my brother's death at some point. It is incredible, like the amount of time someone has replied, oh, I understand what you're feeling because, for instance, both my mom and my sister um, did, you know, multiple suicide attempts. And immediately that creates a connection and immediately you get a sense, okay, this person, I, I don't know them yet, but I had no clue about anything of them. And by opening up about something that's been um, uh, really impactful for me, I've just learned something really crucial about them. And I think it's it's like that for a lot of topics. And I think uh, as a society and as individuals, and I think those two things c- can never be separated, um, like we, we really should open up 
and talk a lot more about this stuff because I think there's like um, so much of this is still very taboo. And yet when it hits you, it's like so helpful to be able to talk about it. Like we can't, like why should we, I don't know, like you you hurt your knee, you're going to say you've, you, you've hurt your knee, but um, yeah. Yeah, but, I but, don't even know what to say about this no, anymore. But, but I do think I do think it's important, as you said, like anything that we don't uh, face comes back to hit us sooner or later. And I think collectively, it's 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 healing to be able to to talk about it and to feel to feel that we we all know this a similar suffering because we we've we've all known someone we've all known someone who's who's been uh, very ill. Uh, uh, sure, way, you know. Sure, or have been ill ourselves, or will mm, be yeah. ill ourselves. All of yeah. that. Yeah. I don't know why it happens, and I can't figure out how to not fall into the trap myself but i think sometimes we convince ourselves there's a kind of uniqueness to our suffering and that it somehow oh. <laughs> that somebody else doesn't feel it the same way we do um when the truth is uh, our our experiences are so much more alike than they are different you know and it's this great it's this great it feels like it's this huge barrier that gets put up between us individually and the world, you know, because mm. you're convinced that like, well, I can't talk about that thing because if I talk about that thing, then they'll know I'm uh whatever, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. a loon or whatever, you know, and yet, yeah, and yet we're all uh, tiptoeing around these same subjects because I don't care who you are you think about death right like I mean who who doesn't to be aware of our mortality is uh, in some ways you know maybe what makes humans s somewhat different than animals maybe animals yeah, no yeah. I don't I don't know for sure of course none of us do but that's the thing we know it's going to happen and we have to face that um, and if and if we do, I don't, I don't love the idea of being just the same way, like to talk about night or daytime can be reductive, you know, because you say like, okay, so day is sunny and bright and happy or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but you can still have dark days, you know, it doesn't have to be yeah, yeah, one yeah. or the other, but in the same way that like, we don't want to, uh, just simplify things to the point that they don't resonate it's important to remember, though, that if we take the risk of opening up to each other and sharing those uncomfortable truths, we mm -hmm. can be rewarded with the kind of connection that you're talking about. And, yeah. and that's one way that we can break down that feeling of aloneness is to remember that other people, you know, are are going through similar things and that even people whose experiences we can't recognize ourselves in even people who seem to view the world completely differently than us um if we allow ourselves a little of that risk then we might start to recognize the ways in which they're less different than we thought mm -hmm. they were right you know mm -hmm. i mean i don't know if that's mm -hmm. part of it for you but i also know that 
the beautiful thing about music is it doesn't have to accomplish something, you know, emotionally for it to matter. But I do think it creates a space where those human inevitabilities can be approached, maybe not fully understood, but you can approach them. Does that sort of sit with you? Yeah, of course. And I think obviously, I mean, we're uh, talking at length about the, um, the, uh, the concept uh, behind, well, yeah. yeah, I guess you could almost say like it's the emotional and life, uh, the emotional concept behind the record. Obviously, you can listen to the record without having any of that information and hopefully something comes through anyway. Sure. Um, but the great thing about music anyway is that it doesn't need words. And I think for me, it was somehow... I don't know if I should say relief, but there's been something really powerful about going back to instrumental music. Because um, even when I was singing, there were still like very long instrumental sections of in the songs where I sang. And also there were always instrumentals on my albums. Uh, but it's my first fully instrumental album since 2007, which is a long time. And uh, I think for me, it was uh, almost like falling, falling in love all over again. Um, as far as the um, you know the power of music is concerned, to think yeah actually, I don't I don't need to um, have lyrics or anything. It's just music is this incredible art form, and I I do believe it's the most immediate art form. You know, it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely special, and it, it's also I mean I love talking about stuff, but also it's great that the the album just uh, is gonna do its own thing just through sound. You know, which is really really magical. Yeah, it's funny. When I was listening to the record yesterday, I had my headphones on and I had my eyes closed and I was like sinking into it and thinking about it. And I felt like I was sort of exploring the contours of the the sound waves, you know. Mm. And I found myself thinking, God damn, it's going to be so hard to try to talk about this, you know, because like, and I think that they, maybe that's one of the things that's cool about you being able to, to let go of the lyrical motifs, right? It's like, okay, goodbye to you. You guys are great. I appreciate it. But we're going to try just going this place without words. And, you know, you've been so open and so honest and so forthright about some of the things you were feeling. I hope that for the listener that um, helps to sort of put a path down for them to go in and experience it similarly. Mm. But that said, and this gets back to your point about the unknowable reality of others, um, somebody can wander into this record and have a completely different experience and um, not have yeah, any of I'm those sure. things. And that's beautiful yeah. too. And then they can tell you that and then that very well might change yours. It's like... I like a there's a writer I like named David Dark and he says to love a person is to love a process because we're all uh-huh. <laughs> we're all taking in new information all the time and we're deciding what we're going to do with it and um and it's just such a it's such a remarkable thing to be able to share existence with other people and music is this space that we can go into and 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 maybe you know experience something very close to the emotional truth of a person you know not fully but a lot closer you can get a lot closer with it than without it you know 
Well, before we kind of wrap up, I wanted to mention just because we're doing a live talk at PRS in Los Angeles with the author Matt Marble about the music of Arthur Russell. And I know Arthur Russell is... What? what? Sorry, can you say that again? Oh, we're doing a live podcast taping Ah, of Aquarium Drunkard. I was really scared. I thought you were saying you are doing a live talk. It's like, what? Oh, you, not you. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what? Well, you and I are going to be doing a live talk about Arthur Russell later. (laughs) Well, I would love that as well. but uh... Yeah, me too. But you would want to know about it well in advance. Um, Yeah, yeah. No, Aquarium Drunkard is staging. We're doing a live podcast taping in Los Angeles uh, on the September 30th. And we're talking with this with this guy, Matt Marble, who wrote a great book about Arthur Russell. That's that's the day of my show at Zebulon. You know that. No, I didn't realize that. I'm in LA on that day. Yeah. Well, well, maybe, maybe (laughs) we can make both. I would love to, maybe I can cruise over to Zebulon afterwards. That would be so cool. (laughs) Well, that just makes me feel that much more, uh, um, cosmically aligned. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But I'm curious just if to close it, when did you when did you start listening to to Arthur Russell? He's somebody who, whether he's singing words or not, or in some cases, yeah. he's singing, but it's just sounds, you know. And to yeah. me, he seems in touch with this ineffable quality that we're talking about a little bit. Yeah, actually, even though I um, I don't really listen to Arthur Russell uh, anymore uh, because I've listened to him so much at some point that uh, it's almost like I have the music in my head. And yeah. actually, that's something I feel with a, a lot of music that I've listened to in the past. Um, but I can tell you exactly it's very easy for me to remember because that was uh, he got me. I mean, his music got me out of um, of the. Uh, creative block I was going through. So that was the year uh, 2009-2010. I was aware of his name already. There had been a few compilations already. Um, And then one day I uh, started to really listen. I think it it was a first thought, best thought. Mm. And and I grabbed grabbed the uh, biography um, written by Tim Lawrence, uh, Hold On To Your Dreams. Mm-hmm. And uh, I read that uh, and I listened to the albums at the same time. And it's such a well-written biography. I just really love it. And I identified with him so much. And uh, basically that, that put me on the, on the path to making music again. And uh, I wanted to sing. And the way he sang uh, and the fact that there was no difference. I mean, I could not feel that for him there was a hierarchy or a... An actual difference between the instrumental stuff and the stuff where his voice appeared, the material where his voice appeared. Yeah. And I realized that that was the way I could also go. So 2000, early 2010. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. And, and I think that you're exactly right. Like, when I listen to Arthur, I get the sense that the, the echoing cello line has as much to say to me as any of the words that he's using, you know, and, and, and that's beautiful. And you Mm. did mention that you've been now making music, uh, 20 years. It's been 20 years since your your first. Much more, actually. It's, it's, it's 20 years, a bit more than 20 years as, as, uh, under the Colleen moniker. Yeah. But, uh, 
I started making music as soon as I touched my first uh, acoustic guitar and I was 15. So it's actually 32 years wow. of making music <laughs> and just like, tw like tw let's say 20 years on a professional level. If by professional, we mean like releasing records. Right. Like my first album, my first album, Everyone Alive, One Senses was published in June 2003. So yeah, well, and we talked about that one on the last one and I, I mentioned what a, what a, favorite of mine is it is and and uh was really a huge uh, inspiration in terms of the idea of loops p possessing this hypnotic incantatory quality and that you can really tease some some powerful stuff out of loops and so even though there's less looping on this record i mean i think it's clear that there's been a, a a through line through all of your work of of being you know willing to sort of wade into this zone of repetition and melody and uh, this record is just is is really beautiful and I appreciate you taking the time to to hang out with me and talk about it talk about some really intense personal stuff uh, it's really very meaningful to me thank you for that uh, thank you well thank you for. Um... Uh, you know, like uh, allowing this sort of like long form conversation to happen. And like also I have such good memories of the of the last podcast, which was also very personal. And uh, I think it's I don't know, I really love the idea of, uh, uh, you know, this isn't like for me when a record is being released, it's it's not about promotion. There is a promotional aspect in the sense that I do want the music to be heard. Yeah. Um, but it's it's so much more than that. Like for me, music is completely personal. And, um, and it just makes sense, you know, to talk about some of the uh, real, well, I was going to say real life stuff. So that goes back to the title. Yeah. Yeah, of course, like the, 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 the I'm a real person. And uh, yeah, it's really me making the music. So it's it's really it's really great to just be able to talk about this and uh, feel like it's a safe it's a safe thing to do because, as you said, anyway, we we are all the same. So uh, I, I made a re I made a record with uh, with some of the stuff that I'm feeling now, but that's the you know that's the only difference. Uh, I know that so many people are uh, uh, experiencing similar stuff. So. Uh, so yeah, yeah. thank you <laughs> well it's a treat to be here and hopefully we'll be able to cross paths in LA uh, that'd be, that'd be yeah, so that cool yeah that would be wonderful <laughs> uh, like please uh, well do you want to say how uh, what time the uh what what time is the is the um, the talk th and th where our 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 talk is at Philosophical Research Society um and it's going to be at 7 7 p.m. Uh, and so we'll probably PM. we'll probably be I, your show also looks like it starts at seven. Um, but Jeremiah, Chu, I think maybe it's going to be like, um, uh, yeah, I think probably it's going to be doors opening, then Jeremiah Chu uh, opening. And then I don't know. <laughs> I well, don't know how far is how far is Philosophical Research Society from Zebulon? I'm not even sure as uh, not far, I don't think. Um, so uh -huh. so it, it, it might it might be possible to, to get both <laughs> in, both in. That'd be so cool. So yeah, yeah. okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Jason. It's been a, a pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I produce, write, and host the show. Transmissions is edited by Andrew Horton. Our music comes from Frank Mastin. You can find more of it by visiting Mastin on Bandcamp. That's M-A-S-T-O-N. 
Our executive producer is Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his radio show, The Aquarium Drunkard Show, on Sirius XMU, Channel 35. It airs at 7 p.m. Pacific time each and every Wednesday. Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Visit the TalkHouse for more interviews, fascinating reads, and podcasts. All right, we will be back next week. In the meantime, please consider joining us via Zoom or in person at the Philosophical Research Society, September 30th, for our conversation with Matt Marble about Buddhist bubblegum, esotericism in the creative process of Arthur Russell. All right, be well in the meantime. Thank you so much, and we will speak with you soon. This transmission is concluded.